This is an ABC podcast. Hello and welcome to Pacific Review on ABC Radio Australia, where we'll be looking at the key stories from the region. Hello, I'm Evan Wasuka. Coming up, humanitarian supplies dispatched as Vanuatu counts the cost of twin Category 4 cyclones. In the next, uh, say, two weeks, all the foods that, uh, let's say, bananas and uh, root crops like cassava, uh, sweet kumala, uh, taro, uh, they, they will be rotting away uh, in, in two weeks' time. Baron Wanga has been chosen to lead the Pacific Islands Forum, but could changes be coming up? Some of the information weren't uh, really available in, in there, and I think uh, because of the focus on Baron Wanga, and uh, now uh, some things are coming out to light. And women in the region call for a stop to workplace discrimination. I'm sorry we can't hire you because of because you're pregnant. That was the exact words. At that point, I was like so speechless. I, I was dumbfounded. I just stood up and I just left. I didn't even like bother to say anything else. But first, for 16 years, Frank Bainimarama ruled over Fiji, first as a military dictator and then from 2014 onwards as a democratically elected prime minister. His time as prime minister ended three months ago when he lost the national election. But earlier this week, he was arrested on abuse of office charge, along with former police commissioner Siti Venigiliho. The arrest sent shockwaves among Bainimarama's political supporters and backers. I spoke to Professor John Frankel from the University of Victoria about the implications of the arrest and what it means for the leader of Fiji's largest political party. This is the first of, of, of many, and these, these things take time to develop the, the evidence and the police reports and for those police reports to be forwarded to the Director of Public Prosecution. I'm pretty sure there will be others. Uh, we all know the stories about various things that have happened over the last 16 years. But the current charges relate to the shutting down of a 2019 investigation about evidence of irregularities and corruption at the University of the South Pacific uh, under former Vice-Chancellor Rajesh Chandra and pro-Vice-Chancellor Winston Thompson. And I, I had a look over that uh, 2019 BDO report, and a lot of the uh, allegations in there were about um, uh, poor oversight, poor governance, bad controls of remuneration, uh, payments of inducement allowances. And these kind of things in themselves would be indicative of bad management, potentially negative uh, nepotism, but not necessarily breaches of the law. But the BDO report did also suggest that payments of inducements and bonuses were in contradiction with USC policy. So that might have been the reason why uh, there was an attempt by the police and the director of public prosecutions to... Um, to, to, to um, raise this case. Uh, the um, uh, response of uh, uh, the, the director of public prosecutions, he stated that um, the, it's a case of abuse of office because they intervened to try and terminate an active police investigation. What impact do you think this will have on politics and in terms of the Fiji First Party? How do you think this will play out? Well, I know, I know there are a lot of people that are very worried that, that, that still think that there's a risk of a further coup or some other attempt to dislodge the uh, lawful government. I've had uh, emails from people expecting a plan C after the initial attempt by Fiji First to entice Nadelpa into a coalition government and then the appeal to the military commander of the president 
to take action. But I don't think so. I think we are seeing the end game here. Um, the Bainam um, uh, has cried what he can cry. Both he and the Attorney General are now out of office. I think we're seeing the end of the, um, the Fiji First era. And in retrospect, you know, uh, Fiji First could neither survive as an authoritarian government, as it tried to do between 2006 and 2014, nor could it survive as an elected government, as it tried to do from 2014 to 2022. Although it won the first election in 2014 with a whopping 59% of the vote, that vote had shrunk to 50.02 in 2018 and then down to, I think, 42.6% in uh, 2022. And if it had got back into government, which it was close to doing, I think that decline would have continued thereafter. The problem was that Fiji first never really managed to transition into being a, a normal political party. It never really had branches around the country. It didn't want to have municipal elections. All of its candidates and supporters and ministers were required to hero worship Bainamarama. There was no room for initiative or anything like that. So um, uh, it, it really wasn't a party that could survive outside the state. And I suspect we're going to see that as time goes on now. We've already had two former ministers resign from parliament. I think we'll also see further such moves. And I think we'll, we'll see um, uh, those, those that remain in parliament um, uh, reorienting in terms of their relations with the government. Finally, Professor Frankel, how do you see this charges uh, play, playing out over the coming uh, days and months? Well, I, I suspect that the, this is only the beginning, and it, th- these things take a lot of time. Uh, Bainam Rama and Kiliho will appear in court today. They'll probably be bailed, and then there'll be a proper court case that will uh, eventuate later. And then, and I suspect also there will be more charges that will be uh, uh, emerging. Professor John Frankel from the University of Victoria speaking there about the arrest of former Prime Minister Frank Bainimarama in Fiji. For many women in the Pacific, the decision to fall pregnant is a complex one. It may bring feelings of joy and excitement, but also nervousness about the future. And for some, it can mean being turned away from their jobs or being denied work. As Marion Farr reports, Women are calling for serious action to combat gender discrimination in the workplace. When 27-year-old Bettina walked into a meeting with her prospective employers, she was feeling confident. She'd nailed the job interview and had an impressive CV, so she thought she was going to get the position. It's for administrative work because I currently study business administration and I've had a few experiences in that field. The managers called her in and said they would love to hire her based on her qualifications, but they just had one final question. Is there anything else that we need to know just in case we'll get through with this interview, we'll hire you if there's anything else? And then I told them, "Uh, I'm currently pregnant. What happened next came as a complete shock. I'm sorry we can't hire you because of because you're pregnant. That was the exact words. At that point, I was like so speechless. I I was dumbfounded. I just stood up and I just left. I didn't even like bother to say anything else. Bettina doesn't want to use her real name because she's worried that speaking out could damage future job prospects. But the rejection left her feeling devastated and helpless. I had to hold in my tears and it was painful because... um, I guess they won't understand how much I actually needed the job. 
As a single mother in Fiji, she really needed the money and she was confident she could do the job while raising her newborn baby. After all, she had done it before. I I know I would have done a good job because I've been to this. My first child, I also went through the, the experience of working while I was pregnant and after that I went back to work. To Bettina, it felt like the employer's decision not to hire her was unfair. That is discrimination 100%. No doubt, it is discrimination. The experience makes her worried that other women are being turned away from work for similar reasons. When it happened to me, it occurred to me, oh my God, how many other women out there that has gone through the same things? Across the Pacific, pregnancy is a major barrier to women's participation in the workforce. A United Nations report found that across the board, men dominate the formal work sector and are paid at higher rates than women. Fiji is the only country in the region that actually lists maternity as prohibited grounds for workplace discrimination. But Bettina says that policy is not well enforced. My advice would be for them to not be biased just because of the situations that women go through. Emile Vakatora agrees. But not too long ago, she had different expectations when applying for a job at one of Fiji's largest credit unions. A lot of people don't tell their potential employers that they're pregnant, you know, because they, they'll be discriminated against. So I thought, no, you know, I, I should tell them because I'll have to go on maternity leave sooner. So if that's not going to work for them, then I'm OK if they rescind the offer and all of that. So that's what I was expecting. But that's not the response she got. To my surprise, she was like, oh, oh my goodness, congratulations. That's just, that's amazing news. You're going to be, you're going to love motherhood. And she, you know, got up, gave me a congratulatory hug and um, just was like so excited for me and told me, started to tell me about her own experiences as a working mother. The hiring manager told Ms. Vakatora the job was hers if she wanted it. I was actually quite shocked that that happened. So that was really wonderful. And I ended up um, accepting the offer and I had full like paid maternity leave and everything. So it was really great. But she knows not everyone has the same experience. In other workplaces, she's seen maternity leave treated as a major disruption. To the point where if, if a member of your team had to take maternity leave, it was like, okay, so we're going to reassign every every client on her portfolio to the girls, you know? So like, you know, because she's gone on maternity leave, you're going to get an extra workload because it's a maternity leave thing and not something else. So, you know, that's the type of environment that most of us, especially here in Fiji, like that we've we've been groomed into. So we expect that type of reaction that they'll they'll tell us that no the offer's no longer on the table we can't have someone that's going to go on maternity leave in a few months she says women deserve better for me looking back going in and expecting them to take the offer away you know that that's not very i mean it, it's 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 sort of toxic in other parts of the pacific there are even fewer protections for women Kiribati, Palau and the Marshall Islands do not mandate paid maternity leave, meaning new mothers may have to quit their jobs to have children. And for Pacific Island women in Australia, things can also be difficult. The affordability and accessibility of childcare is a big issue. Saina Afaaki is a Tongan woman and Senior Advisor for the Pacific Women Professional and Business Network in New South Wales. Here in Australia, childcare is pretty expensive. So we can see with a a young family trying to start a life and mom trying to get back to work after having kids, it's not 
a very good um, outlook there. She says there are also problematic attitudes towards maternity leave. There's lack of flexible work practices. If you go on maternity leave, I'm not sure how long you're going. They're not very welcoming because it means that they will lose our staff for quite some time. Pacific countries with the highest proportion of women employed in the non-agricultural sector are Cook Islands, Kiribati and Tonga. Emile Vakatora says there is positive work being done in the space and progress is slowly being made. But she believes much more is needed to achieve true equality at work. Just change, change the mindset. Change the mindset and um, just have confidence in women. MLA Vakatore from Fiji, ending that report by Marion Farr. Australia, New Zealand and France are providing humanitarian support to Vanuatu after it was hit by two Category 4 cyclones. HMAS Canberra arrived in Vanuatu this week with humanitarian supplies, water and a desalination plant after gale-force winds flattened crops, damaged roads and bridges and schools. Joe Yautum is the Secretary-General of Tafair Province and he says their biggest concern is food supply. The damage is the white bread we have. Uh, the, uh, it's, it's extensive. We have the vegetation that is uh, totally destroyed. Uh, the people of Tana or Tafia province are dependent mainly on, on, on the gardens. Uh, we have the gardens totally destroyed. Uh, and then uh, mostly we have the uh, local buildings and the semi-permanent buildings, uh, semi-permanent buildings uh, in uh, all the islands that are damaged. Um, so th- that's the extent of the damage uh, that we, we, we have here. And, uh, of course, we also have the roads, the roads infrastructure that uh, were also damaged during um, uh, by flood. Considering that damage to roads, is that making it hard to access communities and, and get them some assistance? Fortunately, we have clearance and uh, the public works uh, division here have created other alternative roads. But to the um, remote uh, communities, that that's still very difficult. You mentioned that a lot of the food gardens have also been destroyed in the, in those cyclones. Um, does that mean food is is uh, one of the main needs of of communities? What, what sort of assistance do they actually need? Let's say Dafia province population depend mostly on the garden, and uh, uh, in the next uh, say two weeks. All the foods that, uh, let's say, bananas and uh, root crops like cassava, uh, sweet kumala, uh, taro, uh, they, they will be rotting away uh, in, in two weeks' time. So after two weeks, uh, we, we are expecting people to really go out of food. Joe Yautim, Secretary-General of Tafair Province, speaking there with Priyanka Srinivasan. Controversy has erupted over the leadership within the Pacific's most important diplomatic body, the Pacific Islands Forum. Former Nauruan President Baron Wanga will become its next Secretary General as part of a deal to bring Micronesian countries back into the fold. He'll take up the position next year, but Mr. Wanga's controversial human rights and press freedom record are drawing harsh criticism. Marion Farr with more. Baron Wanga is a man who certainly isn't afraid to showcase his talents. In 2018, during his six-year term as President of Nauru, he famously serenaded New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern with a song he wrote especially for her.
Now he's due to take on one of the most powerful positions in the region as Secretary-General of the Pacific Islands Forum. The appointment was announced last week in a special meeting of Pacific leaders with Mr Wanga to step into the role next year. But already the decision is causing controversy. He presided over a period of Nauru's history, which is a very dark chapter. Kate Schutze is Amnesty International's Pacific researcher. She says Mr Wanga was president at a time when serious human rights violations are alleged to have occurred with the reopening of Australian immigration detention centres on Nauru. In some cases that amounted to sexual abuse and torture of refugees and asylum seekers. The allegations haven't been tested in court and Nauru's government denies claims of abuse. Serving as president from 2013 until 2019, Mr Wanga was also heavily criticised for his relationship with the media and his political opponents. Including a Facebook ban that was implemented for three years by him personally. You know, the suppression of protests, peaceful protests by MPs in the country. Some of them were subject to criminal charges and imprisonment. One of those MPs was Squire Jeremiah, who fled Nauru to escape prosecution for protesting outside Parliament in 2015. The charges against him and 18 others were thrown out by an Australian judge, whose contract was terminated before a retrial. In 2019, the group was found guilty of rioting and unlawful assembly. Mr Jeremiah says they were denied legal assistance access to overseas lawyers, and some had their passports seized. The case sparked international outcry. I just can't imagine how they come up with this nomination. Mr Jeremiah is now seeking humanitarian protection in Australia. The news that Mr Wanga would soon lead the Pacific Islands Forum, a body that puts human rights, transparency and accountability as its core values, came as a shock to him. It's really unacceptable to me and they should reconsider and change their nomination. The ABC has sought comment from Mr Wanga and the Pacific Islands Forum about his appointment. Griffith University Pacific Affairs expert Dr Tess Newton-Kane says the former Nauruan president has his work as Secretary-General cut out for him. It's a big job. It's always a big job and it's a particularly big job at the moment given the increased level of interest in the region and more partners wanting to have a bigger presence. But exactly how he'll perform is yet to be seen. His record as a proponent of good governance, I think, you know, it's something of a patchwork. Griffith University's Dr Tess Newton-Kane ending that report by Marion Farr. The Pacific region has some of the world's highest rates of obesity and non-communicable diseases. It's a trend also seen in the Queensland diaspora. But with quirky cooking tutorials and culturally safe gyms, there's a growing movement for change. Melissa Macon with this report. In a gym south of Brisbane, Samoan woman Alicia Pepe is putting in the hard yards. Um, I work out. I love working out for myself, um, for my body, also for my mind. She wears many hats, mother, grandmother, entertainer. But despite her tight schedule and lack of sleep, she makes time to train at FitKid. Um, I do it for my family so I can look after them and uh, look out for my grandkids as well. Uh, that's my why, my motivation, my inspiration are my kids, especially working out alongside my daughter. This is my mom and her being a part of one of my wives and seeing her work out helps me push harder. And She's yeah. part of a growing number of Pacific Islanders embracing healthier lifestyles at the family-owned and run operation. 
It's the brainchild of husband and wife duo Alex and Liz Fongavini, who felt mainstream gyms weren't catering for Pacific families. Here's Alex. If you look at the fitness industry at the moment, it looks so hardcore CrossFit, and it can be really daunting. Like, it, can, it honestly can. Um, if our mums and dads look at that, straight away it's like, I can never do that. Liz says fostering a sense of belonging was important. I like it when they come and bring the kids and they, they feel at home. So that's a big thing for us is making sure that this is a safe space for everyone. If a baby's crying, then us trainers will go and pick up the kids. It's like these strangers are now like family. We look at them as our own children. Um, they're calling us uncle and auntie. The Pacific region is home to some of the world's highest rates of obesity and non-communicable diseases. Sadly, it's a similar story in the diaspora. A Queensland-wide study of Māori and Pacifica health found people born in Samoa were three times more likely to develop diabetes, seven times more likely to have complications associated with diabetes, one and a half times more likely to be admitted to hospital, and two times more likely to die from an avoidable condition. Trainer Henry Stowers says the stigma around weight in the community erodes people's confidence. A bigger person will come in and see someone that's muscular and fitter and then the confidence will just drop. But that's the good thing about FitKid. We scale, we'll scale any movement to that person. Uh, confidence is, is probably another a massive one here in the fitness industry. And as the saying goes, you can't out-train a bad diet. Traditional foods like sapasui, corned beef and coconut cream are a staple in many families, but they're notoriously high in fats and carbohydrates. It's a problem that health professionals at Good Start are working to solve through family cooking classes. Hey, what's up? What for dinner? How about a veggie frittata? That's Samoan multicultural health worker Brent Warwork. His social media cooking tutorials put healthy twists on traditional dishes, usually by lowering fat content. Hello, guys. Welcome back to Healthier Home. My name is Brent from the Good Start program, and today... We are going to be cooking you luau mamoe and galo. Uh, basically, luau mamoe is seeing like my family go through some health complications that were preventable. Uh, really hit home for me. Four years ago, my sister passed away from heart attack, and prior to that, it was things like diabetes and other complications that could have been prevented by changing lifestyle. He went on to lose over 50 kilos. I mean, obviously, being Pacific, we still have those things around food and around health where. It's a joke, and people laugh at it, but in deep down, it's a serious problem that we have in our community. Bit by bit, we are trying to change people and change their behaviours. Māori nutritionist Kirstine Kira says their support is tailored to families who may even struggle to put food on the table. Is this going to be realistic? Are we going to be able to afford it? Are we going to be able to make eight portions of it? So we don't want to come in to work with our kids and our families and say, you need to do X, Y, Z, but it's not actually achievable for them. Kirstine says getting back to the basics is the key. Our traditional diets before colonisation and, and people visiting us, we really did have diets that were rich in fruits, vegetables, like lean meats, like seafood. We're kind of, in essence, really just looking to revert back to that. That's actually really good. If you like this recipe, then you're definitely going to like next week's one. Otherwise, I'm going to go... go. <laughs> I'm going to go enjoy this for my lunch. Why don't you give it a go too? We'll see you next week. And Alex and Liz Fongavini agree. Fitness is pretty much walking. Anything active 
So if we can just change that mindset within our people, it'll help. We want your mums and dads around however long we can. We want to do our part to keep mum and dad alive. That was Jim owner Alex Fongavini, ending that report by Melissa Macon. And that brings us to the end of Pacific Review for this week. Do join us again at the same time next week. I'm Evan Wasuka. Thank you for listening.